Hey everybody and welcome back to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. I'm your host, John Heiderscheidt. We have Ken Chuselis with us today. Uh, Ken is a cryptocurrency miner and I can tell you right now from everybody I've been talking to in the IT and data center world, cryptocurrency is one of the hottest topics. Everybody has a lot of questions and not too many people have answers. So thought it'd be a great idea to offer up an actual real-life miner to kind of explain it from their perspective. Ken, say hi. Hey, John. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Well, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be on the show with us today. Uh, I know that a ton of folks are going to have a bunch of questions, uh, and I'm going to try and hit the main ones as best I can. But, Ken, maybe to start, just explain cryptocurrency from the miner's perspective. What is it, and what are you doing? Well, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I got started uh, about this time last year. You know, I, you know, the, you know, the term Bitcoin started popping up here and there. And, um, you know, I was looking into it and I discovered very quickly that there's something called mining. And uh, that really sparked my interest because of, uh, you know, my interest in, in technology. And, you know, I, I learned that the miners are the network. You know, the miners are responsible for uh, the transactions um, and, and keeping a copy of, of all of the data that's uh, flying around in cyberspace. So for me, that sounded like something very interesting. So I looked into it a little more and I found out you can get paid doing it and you can, you know, use your computer or GPU. And so I started mining Ethereum with my computer at work and I quickly realized that that was not profitable. So then I looked into it a little more and found, you know, that there are uh, ASIC machines and you can build GPU rigs. And uh, it, it all seemed very, very exciting for me. And uh, as you know, uh, 2017 was a huge year for cryptocurrencies. So, um, you know, I kind of dug in deep with, uh, with uh, mining and, you know, my partnership with uh, MDI Access really uh, gave me a huge boost. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about how I got started. Yeah, and we're really pleased to have you as a customer with us. Um, we're running right now more than 4,000 machines, and we're growing every day for folks like you. Um, so what was it about, you know, let's talk about the challenges that some of the miners face. Uh, equipment is very, very hard to come by. What are you doing to, to help yourself source and grow, or, or how did you get into your first machines? Was it as simple as ordering offline, or did you buy from somebody, or how did that work? So. Um, you know, I've always been an early adopter of technology and I've, I've never really had a huge fear. So for me, you know, I got in at the right time, I guess. Um, like I said, I started mining with my uh, Alienware <laughs> computer at work and quickly realized that my graphics cards, which I thought were, you know, top of the line, were really not cutting it. So I did find some ASIC machines online. Um, I placed, uh, Ken, I placed, before you before go you keep going with that, I know what an ASIC is, and you do, but could you explain it for people who are listening that maybe don't know what ASIC is? Okay, so uh, an ASIC computer basically is a computer that is just designed to do one thing. So your you know PC is designed to do many things. Uh, it, it can be configured to uh, run applications and run different software and be, be upgraded, but um, 
an ASIC machine is an application-specific integrated circuit, which means it's a computer just designed to do only one thing. And outside of doing that one thing, it's completely worthless. So in today's world, you, you find ASIC machines quite often in a factory. So you need a computer to run um, run a, a machine that, that maybe makes something or does one specific thing. And that, that ASIC computer is specifically designed for that one task. But outside of doing that one task, it really is completely worthless. So when we talk about an ASIC computer for mining, we're talking about a computer that is only designed to mine cryptocurrency. Outside of that, it's a paperweight. It's really completely <laughs> worthless. And, so, and um, for those listening, I would say that, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the, the newest model right now, although that's going to change pretty quickly, is the S9 for Bitcoin. And, and that's a good example of an ASIC machine, right? Yes, that's, a, that's exactly right. And that machine um, is only, to, only designed to mine Bitcoin. And, uh, well, specifically speaking, it's, it's uh, designed to mine one protocol uh, that uh, Bitcoin runs on. So... And so um, you chose against that and you decided to do something closer to like rig mining or GPU mining. So what is the difference there? I, I know you were getting into it with you got to get the hashing cards and everything else. But so what kind of drove that decision for you? Well, um, diversity, right? And in, in any anything that you do, any sort of business venture, you want to be diversified. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So you're absolutely right. I started with the ASIC machines. And I, I ordered a, a, a lot of those up front, but it does take, um, you know, anywhere from two to three months for these things to come in. So I had a lot of time to sit and figure some things out. And I decided to look into making my own GPU rig, which is basically just getting a motherboard, building a computer um, and building a computer, though, with, with something in mind that it's only going to be used for mining so you don't really need all of the extras and add-ons uh wi-fi or bluetooth or any sort of extra cards you just want it to mine so you're really looking for the cheapest components that to make it run as efficiently and, and cheaply as possible but the struggle there was getting the graphics cards you know yeah. much like getting the uh, asic miners the graphics cards you know it just caught on like wildfire so it was very difficult to get your hands on graphics cards so for me it was a lot of searching online and then getting on the telephone and making calls. I um, remember I had to source some cards from Canada. So I remember ahead. for us uh, last year, we were part of the, you know, mass stampede to get graphics cards too. And we would call little electronic stores around the Chicagoland area. And it got to the point where they'd tell you, you know, I'm sorry, I can only sell two per customer or three per customer because, you know, everybody's coming in day after day and saying, I want these NVIDIA cards or I want some different cards. And, you know, they don't want to alienate their customer base by giving it all away. But, I mean, we had times where we'd have to go and wait. You know, it was like waiting for tickets for the Super Bowl or a Beyonce concert. You had to stand outside the the door of the store for like an hour and a half to be the first one in there because somebody was going to be in right when it opened looking for them. Yeah, that's uh, it's a similar experience I had. And, you know, I did get lucky because I uh, 
you know, I do run my own business during the day for my day job. And I do have a lot of uh, experience, you know, digging and making phone calls and getting through to people and making deals. So I was able to make some deals on some larger purchases of uh, multiple GPUs. Um, it kind of got around those rules that you'll see online for one per customer and two per customer. And I was able to get some pretty big shipments that really, uh, that really boosted um, my hash rate. <laughs> well, that's a good thing for you. It's uh, there's no shortage of cleverness in this industry. I'll tell you that much. That's hundred percent correct. And so let's talk about the asset digital currency for right now. Um, I don't want you to share anything you're uncomfortable sharing, but you kind of alluded to the fact that last year was a banner year for watching um, asset value escalate in pretty dramatic fashion, not just for Bitcoin, but for some of the primary altcoins too. Um, is there any kind of, I know you mine for certain coins, but will you go out onto the open market and buy coins too, or are you strictly, um, in it to mine? And I guess whatever the answer to that question is, the second part would be what's driving that strategy for you? Well, you know, I did a lot of research from, uh, from guys that had been in it a lot longer than me. So I, uh, you know, during that two to three month period where I'm waiting for, you know, components to come in. Um, I was talking to people that have been in the community for several years and I really got some great advice from some, some people that are, uh, you know, much more successful than I was at the time. And, and that was, you know, be diversified. Sure. But also take multiple approach, like, um, sell some cryptocurrency here and there when, when there is a price spike, take some profits, you don't have to sell it all. The other thing was, you know, be aware of new, new projects and take a look at what's going on and, and maybe invest in some other projects and, you know, take, take your mining to the next level, which, you know, I don't know if you want to get into, you know, master nodes, but that's something else I've moved on to is, is you know, making the master nodes for some of these other coins you- that support that. But, could you, uh, for those of us, and now this includes me, could you explain the master node a little bit? Because when you get into the networking of this, it sort of does start to fly over my head. Sure. So, you know, the, the miners, you know, was, have to talk to uh, a node somewhere to say, hey, I solved an equation. And, you know, the, the nodes verify the transaction and say, okay, you know, this miner solved this equation. And these transactions are included within that block. So certain coins, certain projects will allow you to be part of the network and program your own node on a computer, on a, on a VPS somewhere, and will give you some of the mining rewards, some of the transaction fees to run those nodes. And if you truly want your cryptocurrency project to be successful, you want to look for decentralization, which means the more nodes you have around the world, the more decentralized it is, the more successful the project would be, because that's what we're talking about when we talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is decentralization. So there's less control by one single party, which uh, is what we're, uh, we're trying to accomplish with this cryptocurrency thing. 
really informative stuff, Ken. I know that the people listening are going to be really happy uh, to hear some of this insight from you, a, a guy who's doing mining on his own and, and really understands it very well. You're listening to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. Uh, if you want to take advantage of all of the great amenities of membership with AFCOM, check us out at www.afcom.com. You can click on the contact tab to learn more about membership fees and membership benefits. Uh, we'd love to have you on as a member today uh, and increase the amount of content like this on data discourse that you'd have access to uh, throughout the year. Um, we've got Ken Chiselis with us. Uh, he's a cryptocurrency miner. He's offered to give us a little bit of his time to explain some of the things going on in cryptocurrency today from a miner's perspective. Uh, Ken, what is your biggest fear for the cryptocurrency market in 2018? What do you think would be, you know, obviously a price drop would be terrible for any coin and nobody likes to see that. But what are some of the threats out there for cryptocurrency that you need to be aware of if you're starting or if you've been in it for a little bit? Well, you know, just the uh, the fear itself, right? So the perception of reality becomes reality, like what happened with Lehman Brothers. You know, Lehman Brothers was stable, it was safe until the perception of reality was that it was unstable. And what happens, people start to take their money out and then it does become unstable. And um, so that fear can kind of uh, create uh, huge problems with uh, cryptocurrency and we're seeing that now everyone's really concerned about regulations and certain countries are starting to you know ban exchanges and and do um some things to make it more difficult to exchange but you know what these countries are really trying to do is make it safer for everyone out there i know myself in the early stages I didn't do my due diligence on a project and I got, I got scammed on an ICO, which I just didn't, I didn't have time to really look into it. It sounded exciting and it wasn't legitimate. And that taught me a lesson to, you know, I do need to slow down and take my time and take a look at things. And that's why the governments want to step in to um, make it a safer place, I guess, and but not isn't necessarily stop it. Isn't the idea behind this that it's it is decentralized and it's kind of an answer to the current centralized monetary paradigm that's so dominant across the world? Um, isn't part of the value of cryptocurrency, at least in the eyes of, of the, the holders or hodlers, I guess, if you want to call them that, um, isn't the value there that it's decentralized? So what can the governments, you know, whether it's the U.S. or South Korea or China or whatever, what kind of steps can they really take to have serious effects on these um, on these digital assets? Well, the government's approach right now is not necessarily on the individual projects themselves, although they have taken steps to ban ICOs in certain countries. Sure, and that's so, I'm all I, for that. That's a well needed thing. There are I, I can tell you right now, or at least I believe right now that. Over the next 18 to 24 months, you're going to see a lot of these ICO guys being walked into the Securities Exchange Office or worse uh, to answer some real tough questions mm -hmm. about what they're doing. So um, I, I don't right. mean to imply that I disagree with the notion that some regulation can be good. Um, I, the traders may not like taking the volatility out of the market, but people holding the asset, I'm, I'm sure, will. But um, to the original question, um, what do you think they can do? Well, you know, 
the first exchanges that were started for cryptocurrencies were just, you know, guys like me with servers in their basement, you know, doing their best to secure your assets and keep it safe. And the problem is not everybody knows what they're doing. Not everybody does a great job. And we just saw um, Japan an exchange in Japan just got robbed of, I believe it was like a half a billion dollars. Yeah, because, I saw that. You know, just, yeah, just simple things like multi-signature, you know, uh, to to remove funds. You know, that should you would think that would have been in place with a with a firm that has that many assets, you know, on the books. And so that's why regulation, uh, some regulation might be necessary to make make sure that people are not abusing um, the the. Uh, you know, everyone's money that's coming into these exchanges. So I do think some regulation could be good for it. It's just, you know, the fear is that the government might overstep and try to take it over, I guess. Ken, I want to thank you so much for jumping on data discourse with us. We're coming up on the end of the interview. We've got a few more minutes here uh, right now. And pretty much since its inception, Bitcoin is what I call the granddaddy of them all. Uh, that is, it's the most valuable digital currency asset out there. It's probably the one that's most prevalent in public consciousness today, although there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of different altcoins and digital coins out there. Bitcoin is the one that is, is kind of um, almost used interchangeably with the phrase cryptocurrency. So um, do you think over the coming year or two or three or four, will Bitcoin stay on top or is something like Ethereum or Litecoin or another one of those altcoins destined to ultimately be uh, the best digital asset? <laughs> that is the $64 billion question. <laughs> right, I guess I should have told and, you to get uh, your crystal ball out for the interview too. <laughs> yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. I think what we're what we're seeing and what we will see in the future is what happened to the uh, the dot com fad in the late '90s, right? We had this just mass influx of money and everyone um, just running to this new technology that they didn't really understand yet and didn't know how to use it yet. And then what did we see? A big consolidation of the market, but it didn't go away. It wasn't like dot coms don't exist anymore because now. Um, we're using the internet more than we ever have before and we found where the value is. So I think we will see a major consolidation among cryptocurrencies and those projects that really uh, don't have any value are probably going to go away, but we're going to find out who is the most dominant cryptocurrency and which ones have the technology to take us to the next level. And I think we're already starting to see that. So it's going to be an exciting year. And very much so. We're very excited to to see how it plays out too, and um, we're happy for all the customers that we have that we've got up and running. It's uh, it's really great. It's exciting. It's like being in. In some ways, I compare it to being involved in the gold rush of the 1840s. Um, you know, it's there's just like you said, a, a lot of appetite and a lot of capital and some speculation too, and. We'll see what that all culminates in as the years play out. Uh, Ken, I want to thank you so much for being on Data Discourse and sharing some insight um, as to what a miner thinks and does uh, with these machines. I know our listeners are going to be better off for it. So thanks for coming on. Well, I really appreciate it, John. Thank you. No problem. You've been listening to Data Discourse, a podcast presented by AFCOM. We'll talk to you next time.